Coming up, we talk oversharing, Pixar, and how to play a cyborg. It wasn't until after I booked the role of cyborg that I was sent literally everything cyborg related from DC Comics. Every time they would tell me, wow, you're going to Pixar, um, and I would just be so excited because it's just, it's paradise there <laughs> since, um, like, the food there is amazing, and then the Pixar story is just awesome. I grew up watching Wesley Snipes' Blade, I watched, you know, Michael Jai White as Spawn, I, mean, I even grew up watching Shaquille O'Neal as Steel, <laughs> you know, way back when, and so I feel like you know, seeing a physical representation, a non-cartoon physical representation, um, affected me in a much different way. My father's an electrician. I should have been a second-generation wild, mm-hmm. you know, wire puller. That's what I should have been. You know, like I came into an industry where gay men are not really accepted, right. and it's all about trying to find stability in an environment where you shouldn't, where you believe you have a place, but no room is made for you. <laughs> Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, shut the door behind you, sit at the bar, pour yourself in a groanie, and listen to these conversations as they fly through the air. A little bit later, comedian Sean Hitchens will be here to talk about, well, embarrassing himself. He has a new book called A Brief History of Oversharing. We'll get to that in just a little while. Then Ray Fisher will be here. Ray Fisher is the young actor who plays Cyborg in the movie Justice League. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to introduce you to a young actor named Anthony Gonzalez. He's the star of the new film Coco. He provides the voice for the main character, does all his own singing, and he's just 13 years old. Now, imagine what's going to happen when this movie comes out. His life is going to change, but his life has already kind of changed. He worked on this movie for four years, one third of his life shuttling back and forth between his home in Los Angeles to the Pixar campus where all the work was done. Imagine what it must be like at nine years old to be going to Pixar, punching the clock, showing up for work, and making a movie that's going to change your life. I asked him, what's it like being at Pixar? This is what he said. Oh my gosh, it's it's just like a dream come true because... Um, every time they would tell me, wow, you're going to Pixar, um, and I would just be so excited because it's just, it's paradise there <laughs> since, um, like the food there is amazing and then the Pixar story is just awesome and, um, just, no getting, getting to see, uh, Lee, Darla, and Adrian again, which is the director, the producer, and the co-director, uh, getting to see them every time I, I went was just so much fun. How long would you go? Would it be like for an afternoon? Because you're because you're young, you can only work for you know a shorter amount of time, right? I sometimes I, I went like during a, like a school day, right. and um, it would be like from the morning, and then I would like do school, I would eat, then I would have like a three to four hour session, right. and then sometimes even two hours, um, and then I would take my flight back to LA. Every time I would go to Pixar, I'd be happy because I'd miss school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good work. If you can get it, that's Anthony Gonzalez, 13 years old and starring in his first film. It's Pixar's Coco. Now meet Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher is the actor who played Cyborg in the Justice League. And earlier on in the conversation, it's not included in this snippet that we're about to play for you, but he compared the excitement of being given this role to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He said, it's like someone handing you the keys to the chocolate factory and saying, go ahead, it's yours now. He's 30 years old, he was a fan of Cyborg when he was a kid, now he brings him to life in the Justice League. This is Ray Fisher. 
for me, actually, I did not have comic books growing up. I was a huge fan of the animated series and the movies growing up in, in the 1990s and 2000s. Um, it wasn't until after I booked the role of Cyborg that I was sent literally everything Cyborg-related from DC Comics. And I was able to fall in love with the original iteration of Cyborg from the new Teen Titans, which was created in 1980 by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Um, outside of that, my only association with him was from the Teen Titans cartoon show uh, in the early 2000s. So for me, being able to bring the characters, being able to bring these characters into the same sphere as the, the, the as the shows and animated series that I love as a kid, it's it's like coming full circle, man. It's it's kind of it's very hard to describe. It's like somebody telling you as a as a as a kid, hey, listen, you'll be able to. It's like being like it's like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. It's like Willy Wonka handing you the keys to the Chocolate Factory and saying, "Go ahead, it's yours now." <laughs> well, they dealt with real teen issues, even though it's on a superhero plane. Those shows uh, felt, and I think probably affected teens uh, in a way that felt very real to them, even though the characters had superpowers and that kind of thing. Is that the way you felt about them? I mean, yeah. You read the new Teen Titans, and you you see people, you see them dealing with, uh, you see them dealing with all the angst that comes with being a teenager. You see them dealing with all the same issues, but also having to juggle superpowers. You know, it, it's different, I think, for a kid to see, uh, for a kid or even a teenager to look at some of the superheroes and see uh, an adult version of Batman, an adult version of Superman, an adult version of Wonder Woman, and the rest. You know, it, it seems a little bit more removed. But when you see a superhero that's around the same age as you. I think there's a, there's a certain level of relatability that that that, that brings. And I think that you probably uh, will affect people with this characterization of Cyborg, uh, people who have lost a limb, people who uh, are disabled in some ways. Have you had a connection with any fans or, or you know, communication with anyone who has had that sort of experience and, and, and wants to reach out to you? Well, fans, fans have reached out. There have been some who have been who are amputees. Uh, there have been, you know, kids who have implants, those sorts of things. And you know, for Cyborg to be able to represent, uh, to, to represent the uh, the underrepresented in that way, I mean, it's a very special thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't I, I didn't know the full scope of what he would represent when I took on the mantle, um, or when I decided to take the job. But you know, it it it. It's inspiring to me that you know it sort of gives voice and it gives it gives power uh, uh, to them. Is, is there a weight that comes with that? You know, do, is it something you think about, or are you really just concerned about what's on the page in front of you and and the things that are going around on the set while you're actually filming? Well, for me, because there's so much lead-up time into the piece being conceived. Uh, Zack Snyder, our director, from the very beginning, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the Northeast, and Chris Terrio, you know, who was living in New York, uh, he put us in the same room, and you're dealing with these guys, like, you, you feel like you're dealing with some of the, you, you feel like you're dealing with uh, people who really, really care about not only the work, but also the people being represented in it. Um, I was extremely fortunate that the people working on the project, Chris, who is, you know, a great friend of mine, Zach, uh, that they were sensitive to what those issues are. And, you know, Cyborg represents not just, you know, people with, uh, people who are differently abled, but it also is uh, a representation of the black community within the Justice League and with uh, people of color. 
and being able to don both those mantles and making sure that the integrity with which that character would need to be portrayed was being adhered to was something that it was a, it was a fluid and, and very easy process when dealing with Chris and, with Chris and Zach. So I never felt like I was, um, uh, I never felt like I was in, in, in too much danger of becoming a stereotype. I never felt like I was in danger of, of offending anyone uh, with that particular portrayal because you go wrong really quickly uh, in so many different ways. So uh, luckily, uh, it, there, there, there wasn't any of that. As a young African-American man, was Cyborg a character that, that was important to you? Growing up, when I was watching the cartoon shows, because I, I was, I think I was just about to enter high school, or I was in my freshman year when I saw the Teen Titans, I thought Cyborg was a funny character, but he didn't necessarily resonate with me in the same way that you know some of the live-action heroes resonated. Uh, I grew up watching Wesley Snipes as Blade. I watched you know, Michael Jai White as Spawn. I, mean, I even grew up watching Shaquille O'Neal as Steel, and, and, you know, way back when. And so I feel like, you know, seeing a physical representation, a non-cartoon physical representation, um, affected me in a much different way. I have a feeling that it will affect a lot of people and that after this weekend, uh, things will change. The kind of mail that you get, the kind of uh, reaction you get will be much different than you have up until this point. Oh, well, thank you for saying so uh, from your lips, and hopefully uh, it resonates with people in a, in, in a positive way. I think there's definitely a message behind Cyborg that, that is needed for people to hear and what he represents and the resilience of the human spirit, and I hope that it, it, I hope that it means as much to people watching it as it meant to me to do it. Um, yeah. On Broadway, you played Muhammad Ali, and he is also someone... I think who represents the resilience of the human spirit, and you know all. Oh, the, absolutely. Yeah, and, and 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 a very important character. So, I think of you standing on a stage on Broadway playing Muhammad Ali, and then going to a movie set, and it's so different. I think, or is it? I mean, I'm not an actor, so perhaps you can tell me. Uh, how much different is it to walk into something like this, which? I'm, I, I imagine you're surrounded by green screens and cameras, and it's it's a much different feel. Mm -hmm. Does it change your process? Does it change the way you approach things? I mean, for me, because of the acting, the emotion, I think the heart of the characters is the same. It's just a matter of using different techniques to to portray the emotion or to, to get the point across. With, uh, with theater, there is a sort of energy that the audience brings, but with film, it feels like... Because because you're able to do multiple takes and have there be really no risk in you know messing up uh, uh, on a take or that you know the performance could, performance could be edited to to give the best representation of the character, I feel like the film work in and of itself feels more like uh, it feels more 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 like a more of a, a safe space. Right. Um, and if you've got the time and you've got you know a director who's willing to you know, really flesh things out and make sure they get exactly what it is that is needed for the character. It feels like a, it feels sort of like a rehearsal process. Um, and that which takes a lot of, which takes a lot of pressure off. And I think part of my, my great experience working with Zach was that, you know, it didn't feel like there was ever any pressure. Even if there was pressure coming from, you know, all these different angles and, and having to get things done by a certain time, he never, that pressure never trickled down onto us as the performers. And I think that's a very special gift that uh, that 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 should not go unnoticed. 
what's more exciting? I don't know, stepping out onto a sound stage to do the Justice League or stepping out onto a Broadway stage or a stage in front of a, an audience. They're different things, different pressures. Yeah. And what's, more what's more exciting for you? You know, it, it, it's hard to tell. I would say it, it's, it's more immediately gratifying to step onto a stage and have an audience there. Um, and once this movie comes out, we'll see what level of gratification comes from, how it's received. Um, it's, uh, it, it's different. It's different. I feel like they, they both have their place, but, you know, theater is my first love. And for people who have, you know, traveled long distances to be in physical proximity and see you do this show and be affected by it, um, I think there's something to be said for that, you know, for not being able to just sit in the comfort of your home and, and stream yeah. content. I think there's something, it's an event. It's like the difference between going and watching music live versus listening to an album uh, at home or streaming it on, a, on, on, on one of those services. It's just a different energy about it. I love the live experience because I know that what I'm seeing on the stage is in the moment and it is only going to mm. exist in my mind. After I've yeah. walked out of the thing, I won't be able to throw the DVD in and watch it again or stream it or do whatever. Yeah. And that, to me, is tremendously exciting. You know, and if I go see you yeah. play Muhammad Ali, or, uh, like in June, and then I go back a couple months later, and I go back a couple months later after that, it's going to be different every time. And I love yeah. the excitement of that. And that's the thing; it's, it exists and then it's gone. Yeah. You know, you can do it. You can do a bad. You can do a bad movie and have to try to live that down for <laughs> many, many years. But <laughs> you can do a play that's not so great. And, uh, it, it'll it, it'll disappear after a while. Who knows? Maybe one day Ray Fisher will play Cyborg on stage. Until then, keep your eyes peeled to the Justice League movies to see more of his work. Next up, meet Sean Hitchens. John Hitchens is a comedian. He's also the author of a couple of books. His newest one is called A Brief History of Oversharing. It's a collection of, well, some might say overly personal, but very funny essays about cat ownership, male figure skaters, crappy gigs, mold checks, feats of masturbation, and other humiliating stuff. This is Sean Hitchens talking about his book, A Brief History of Oversharing. Is this an offshoot of the work that you do on stage? Is this something that sort of was birthed there and, 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 and your, your honesty and your, your forthrightness? Yes. Yes. Uh, I have a problem where I don't lie. <laughs> so I just can't. Is it a uh, problem? It, well, it, yeah, I'm pretty okay. blunt. Right. Um, I, I, my mother is a half Danish, half farmer, so it just comes out. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> And the book is an extension of what I've done on stage and sort of just told the truth about my life. Uh, I think uh, as a comedian, uh, it's sort of my role. I don't really play that uh, negative uh, comedian who works the audience. I just yeah, yeah. sort of tell stories and uh it's all about tension for me so sort of like, a, more like mark Marin than yeah I, young men john leguizamo yeah. yeah, 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 like yeah. the, the film career <laughs> <laughs> and and audiences clearly respond um what were was the reaction when you first handed in the stories to your editor uh make up this book well i i just 
kind of it, it, it happened uh, story by story, essay mm-hmm. by essay. I just sort of like batted it out. Uh, the beginning was about uh, my three-year journey as a sperm donor to a lesbian couple. That's what started it. I was touring the show talking about masturbation, you know, how gay men have a baby, using the the baster technique, that whole thing. And so that's where ECW picked up on that story. And so we just sort of expanded on that and humiliation. And, uh, uh, you know, just the book for me is about failure. And, And what do you hope people take away from it then? Um, I don't know. Because Because it's a funny book about failure. It's a funny book about failure, but it also has a lot of trauma in it. (laughs) (laughs) But varying levels of trauma. Like when I was in Winnipeg hosting the sing-along of Greece Mm -hmm. and the film failed. Oh, no. And I was in a casino with 800 people (laughs) dressed in poodle skirts. And... And the casino manager said, uh, we need you to finish the film. And I said, oh, you need me to just go say goodnight? And he said, no, I need you to finish the film. To sing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so then I had to go on stage and reenact the last 15 minutes of Grease the Movie. Like, it's stories like that. And then then it's, you know, like, also about my father. But (laughs) (laughs) that's the root. It's always the root. Yeah. Um, But failure, though, is an extraordinary part of life that I think people try and ignore and push away often. But without failures, there's no successes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and for me it, it's uh it's about stability and it's about, you know, what happens like my father's an electrician. I should have been a second generation wild, mm-hmm. you know, wire puller. That's what I should have been. You know, like I came into an industry where gay men are not really accepted right. and it's all about trying to find stability in an environment where you shouldn't where you believe you have a place but no room is made for you. You can find Sean Hitchens' book, A Brief History of Oversharing, anywhere that you buy fine and sometimes not so fine books. You can get it at Amazon.ca, Indigo, all over the place. It is widely available. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for coming by. I want to thank Sean, Ray, Anthony. Most of all, though, as always, the biggest thanks is reserved for you. Without you, there'd be no reason for us. I'd just be screaming into the void, talking to myself. So it's a real pleasure to have you come back every single week. Uh, Make sure that you come back every Monday. We put a new show up every Monday. And you never know who's going to be here. It just might be one of your favorite people. And you don't want to miss that.